so uh, starting with verse 45, and Jesus is um, on the cross. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, This man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, Truly, this man was God's son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so these are the last really three hours of Jesus hanging on the cross. And we're told that from noon to to, to three, it was dark. It was dark upon them, dark upon the land. And this is a clear reference to the day of the Lord. The day of vengeance. The day of God's wrath and God's judgment. I'll bring a couple passages um, from uh, uh, the prophets. First we'll look at Joel chapter 2. Then Amos uh, chapter 8. You you can turn there if you want or you can just hear it. But those of you that take notes, you can write that down. Joel 2 and Amos um, 8. And go and look at them um, later. The rest of you can just trust me that I didn't make this stuff up. So Joel chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in ages to come. In verse 10, the earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters His voice at the head of His army. How vast is His host! Numberless are those who obey His command. Truly, the day of the Lord is great, terrible indeed. Who can endure, endure it? And then Amos chapter 8. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning. 
for it. I will make it like the morning, not morning as in dawn, but morning as in sadness. I will make it like the morning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. I mean, did you hear Amos' words there? It'll become dark at noon, and it will be like the morning for an only son. So the, the darkness of these three hours it is telling us, is communing us, here is the day of visitation. This is the day of God's wrath, of God's judgment. This is the day when, when a holy, righteous God meets the, the rebellion and sin and evil of His world. And here comes a deadly, violent collision. Evil will meet with righteousness and justice, goodness and love, and will be destroyed. We don't talk much about the judgment of God. Matter of fact, I was sort of hoping Jesus would come back before this sermon. Just because destruction and annihilation, the wrath of God and the judgment of God have been so misused that we tend just to avoid it. But I'm afraid when we avoid it, then we miss the very character of God. And often what we do is is we, we take God's judgment and either we sentimentalize it by making a cartoon story out of it, like Noah. You know, we, we've turned the story of Noah into a childhood story. You know, two by two, the animals come in the ark, in the arky arky. Do, do, do you realize, though, that the story of Noah is a story of the judgment of God to where almost all of the living creature drowned because the earth floods? And we make a little cartoon out of it. We can sentimentalize sometimes the wrath and, and judgment of God. Or we can criticize it. We we can say, oh, the wrath and judgment of God, that's from days gone by. That's Old Testament stuff. That's sort of vile. That's evil. Isn't that sad? All those innocent animals were killed. And all those people. Yes, it is. That's the whole point. And here's what I propose to you is, is if we shortchange evil, if we shortchange rebellion and sin, and we sentimentalize it with some watercolors and a precious moments Bible, or we criticize it in our own arrogance and sort of look above it, then in, when, in shortchanging sin and evil, we shortchange the love and grace of God. And we shortchange what happens here at the cross and why Jesus in the fullness of his humanity would cry out at this moment my God, my God why have you forsaken me? It's because he sees the fullness of evil in its impact and he takes it upon himself. Here the the last verse of the, the, the prophet Isaiah if nothing more, you'll as we read Joel, Amos, Isaiah, the prophets, you know that if you're, you know, this is sort of a pastor's general warning. Enter, read the prophets, you know, to, to uh, um, your own peril. Um, uh, they, they are filled with the fullness of God's evil, of, of the evil of the world, and then therefore also the grace of God. But hear, hear this word of God's judgment. And they shall go out and look at the dead bodies of the people who have rebelled against me. This is 
in the last days. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. Jesus, you know, that's, oh man, let's get finished with this Old Testament stuff. Let's go to Jesus. Well, he's no better. I mean, Jesus was formed by the, the Old Testament. And he also has plenty of words of judgment, of, of presenting the righteous wrath of God. Uh, from Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Then later in chapter 12, verse 36. I tell you on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. Just what Helen was saying. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus also tells us that those of us who've had lust in our eyes, in his mind, we've committed adultery. If you've had hatred in your heart, if you've called another a fool, then you are a murderer. You are destined for judgment. And then it goes on in, in, into the, the story of the church in Acts chapter 5. The, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, two part, folks that are part of the church, and they, they sell their land. And then they, they, they come back to the church leaders. Hey, we're going to give you all the money, all the proceeds from the selling of our land to the church. And they lied. They only gave them part of what they made. And by the end of the chapter, both are dead because of the judgment of God. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 9 and 10, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then in the end, Revelation chapter 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God, in His righteousness, in His holiness, in His purity, despises all evil, all disobedience. And in His presence, it is destroyed. Even the evil in our day is the same. The, the, the disobedience and the results of that disobedience. I mean, just do a little, just a quick biopsy of today. And we'll, we'll, we can easily pick up plenty that we recognize falls into the categories that are listed here that will receive the judgment 
and wrath of God. You know, today, over 65 million people, because of war, because of famine, have been forced out of their homes. It's roughly one out of every hundred human beings on the earth have been forcibly removed from their homes to other cities, other lands, other countries. In Africa, it's one out of 60. In the Middle East, it's one out of 20. In Syria, it's more than half. Slavery today, we have the highest number of slaves today than any other time in our history. With 30 million people, it's estimated, living as forced laborers, forced prostitutes, child soldiers, or child brides, owned by another human. Just this week in Nigeria, in a girls' school, 110 students were kidnapped taken away and now are being forced or imprisoned, forced to marry their captors, imprisoned or even worse. Just just imagine one of the fathers and the mothers of a 19-year-old daughter who was just about to graduate from high school. now you'll never see again. And then even in our own city, you know, in in Cincinnati, our city, we still live in a city where a third of the children live in poverty in our city. And, And for us, I've already mentioned what Jesus said, if our eyes lust, we're an adulterer. If our hearts hate or despise another, we're already a murderer. And Jesus tells us every careless word will be judged. Even the the person in here that, that we would say and agree upon is the most loving person in the room, that the wisest sage of all, if judged by their own deeds, would explode in the presence of unfiltered presence of God. Because as the writer of Hebrews says, God is a consuming fire. And any who stand before God on our own, depending on our own wisdom, our own choices, will be destined to righteous judgment separated from God forever. Judged in our own sin, disobedience, and rebellion our refusal to submit to God and trust Him in every way. I got more, but I'll stop there. I imagine that most of us by this stage are numb. And what do you do with that? Aren't you overwhelmed? I mean, I, I got overwhelmed in Syria, let alone me. Maybe we even get defensive or we just shut down. All right, well, don't. Wake up now. Come back. 
Because it's important that we recognize the, the, the evil in our world. It's important that we recognize the result of our own rebellion, of our own sin. We gotta just just imagine then if you can, if you can capture then even just a few things that I've highlighted, but then you just expand. I didn't even go historical. You know, just capture all of the evil and sin and selfishness and disobedience and rebellion, oppression, destruction, war, rape, lies, starvation, racism, sexism, adultery, sexual addiction and exploitation, greed, cowardice, self-promotion and arrogance. Capture it all, combine it into one planet-sized ball, and then play it on Jesus as he hangs on a cross. Place it on his hanging body and you maybe, maybe we get just a taste, we get just a feeling there of what Jesus is saying when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the day of the Lord has arrived and His wrath and judgment have come and they have landed right on Him on the cross. And Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. In this deepest moment of evil and lament, He joins with the psalmist bemoaning the evil and pain of the world that is not equally or fairly distributed We all can agree with that. There's plenty of people who don't get what they deserve. Some of them get too much pain. Some of them get too little, according to our judgment. But here, on the day of the Lord, this this evil and its judgment now are all upon Jesus. The perfect example, the only example of an innocent one who deserved no pain and judgment, who now gets it all. And then his voice cries out again, we're told, and he breathes his last. Now, if you'll notice in your pew Bible, and maybe some of your other translations, the literal words that are given there are in the footnote that he gave up his spirit. That there, Jesus in his final choice in his human, fully human body, he takes it all. And he trusts the Father to raise him up. He takes what he does not deserve in order, in a sense, to swallow up like like some cosmic vacuum cleaner the sin and evil and rebellion of the world, of you and of me. He takes it all and he obliterates it, takes it in himself and takes it into the grave to death and he leaves it there. So that all who are in him All who follow Christ, all who receive His rescue, are not judged by our actions. 
We are washed clean. Because Jesus has obliterated our sin. He has obliterated evil. He has obliterated disobedience and rebellion. And in that moment, he laments. He hates it. He despises it. He sees it all. But he takes it all upon himself, trusting the Father. And then the dawn begins. For we're told that the temple curtain is torn in two. The, 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 the temple is the place where God resided, and the Holy of Holies is the place of His very presence. And the temple curtain separated the Holy of Holies uh, from all the rest of the people and all the rest of creation. And in that moment, it is as if God the Father has taken His hands and ripped the curtain in two to say, Now, My judgment and wrath, the day of the Lord, are satisfied in my Son. You are free to come with me. The rocks split. The earth shakes. You see, the the, the rebellion, the disobedience of uh, of, uh, of humans has uh, impacted the whole of the earth, all of creation. And so now, Jesus' atonement, his, his forgiveness, His taking on the evil of the world has now also impacted all of creation to bring it all back to the Father. And we're even given a little preview, preview of things to come, a foreshadowing of the ultimate resurrection as tombs, some in their tombs, are raised to life even in that moment. Friends, this is the price Jesus paid. This is grace. When we see the fullness of evil and our overwhelmed by it and then see that it is destroyed. This is the purchase of our forgiveness. You in this world will face evil. Maybe you're facing it right now. It can be outside of you or it can be in you or it can be both. Jesus has faced it, has taken it on, and destroyed it. The evil you face within you and around you does not have the last word. It may seem, it may seem impossible. There's no way that the evil you've done or had done to you can ever be cleansed. I'm telling you, this is the good news. This is the gospel. And what Jesus has done to destroy the evil within you and outside of you. Indeed, He is stronger. So whatever that evil might be, even if you're in the middle of it, man, turn to Jesus. Turn to Psalm 22. 
cried out. You might feel like God is forsaking you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? And read the whole psalm. Because as Jesus quoted it, he was also acting in ways of trust. And you read the whole psalm, that's where it ends. Comes to that place of saying, but God, you are the one who will redeem. You are the one who will make right. And there is no evil that can separate you or me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So name it. The evil within you, the evil around you. Name it. See it. See it. In the blood of Jesus. As he receives it and destroys it.